Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord, saints. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, none of the things that are on the earth. For you have died with your... For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. There's many things in this life that we seek, congregation. The question that St. Paul attempts to answer in our in these beginning verses of chapter 3 is whom or what do you seek daily? Whom or what do you seek daily? What in this life do you seek? St. Paul answers for us this question. The opening verses of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 are kind of like St. Paul taking us and getting our eyes examined. For us to consider in our lives, what do we give most of our attention to? And the great summary of verses 1 through 4, and the great summary of my sermon is simply this. Seek the Lord. That's the great summary of verses 1 through 4. That's the great summary of my sermon. It's simply that. Seek the Lord. You don't really need much more Uh, words after that other than seek the Lord the sermon has this simple two simple points number one whom do we seek and number two much shorter how do we seek let's consider the first point whom do we seek verse one therefore if you have been raised with Christ keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God Uh, verse one of Chapter 3 essentially picks off where chapter 2 left off. Picks up where chapter 2 left off. If you remember in chapter 2, specifically in verses 16 through 23, St. Paul encourages his readers not to go back to Old Testament rituals, festivals, anything. Because the substance... That is to say, Jesus Christ, all of what the Old Testament pointed to, has now come. Amen. That Jesus Christ has come, and in his coming, there was a death of everything that pointed to him in the Old Testament. Which means this, if you want to eat pork, eat pork. If you want to wear certain fabrics with certain fabrics, wear them. We don't need to observe Passover. We don't need to observe any of these Old Testament festivals, ceremonies, because we have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> since Jesus Christ, um, or rather, since we have been purchased by the blood of Christ, since we have been saved by the work of Christ, We don't need anything that the Old Testament saints were bound to. We don't need any of those things. And simply put, it's because we are free in Jesus Christ. As we come to chapter 3 then, 
St. Paul is continuing that line of thought from chapter 2. And you see that, saints, because he begins chapter 3 with, therefore. Therefore. Essentially what he's saying is, since you are not bound to the Old Testament laws and ceremonies, therefore what? Seek the Lord. You see, St. Paul essentially, in verses, or rather in chapter 2, he takes all of what apparently is is coming in between the Christian and Christ. And he says, remove all these things. And now that you removed all these things, you now have a clear line, a clear vision of Christ. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Your Bible, if you notice, might say if. Might say if. If you have been raised with Christ. Saints of God, that is... That, that, that is not a hypothetical from St. Paul. He's not speaking to some Christians who are not saved, but rather it should read since, since you've been raised with Christ. Not if, as if, I don't know you're saved, but no, you blood-bought Christian, you, since you have been raised with Christ, then seek the Lord. In verses 1 through 4, there's a beautiful connection that St. Paul lays out. It's, it's quite interesting, is it not? As, as practical as St. Paul tries to be, he's also deeply and highly theological. St. <laughs> Paul, in verses 1 through 4, he, he shows us that, that there is a beautiful, unique connection, a, a union, that is to say, between the believer and Christ. You know, uh, Pastor Antonio spoke of this this morning. That all of what Christ has, we have. And the reason why is because we're united to him by faith. Notice he says in verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. Then he says in verse 3, if you have died, or rather for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he says lastly, when Christ who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory. St. Paul here shows us that there is a great union, a great bond between you, believer, and your head, Jesus Christ. Just as there's a great union between your body and your head, there's a great union between Jesus the head, right, and us the body. The most common Pauline phrase in the New Testament is, in Christ. Paul is an in Christ type of theologian. And this phrase, in combination with in Christ, Jesus Christ, or in the Lord, or in him, it's said over 164 times in Paul's letters. Paul is, Paul is so enamored by this thought of the believer in Christ being united together. So much so that he says things like, we are justified in Christ, Romans 8.1. We are glorified in Christ, Romans 8.30, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are sanctified in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.2. Called in Christ, in verse 9. Made alive in Christ, uh, uh, Ephesians 2.5 and, and, and 2 Corinthians 15.22. We are created anew in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Adopted as children of God in Christ, elected in Christ, raised with Christ. Crucified with him, buried with him, baptized into Christ and his death, united with him in his resurrection, 
and seated with him in heavenly places. Bless all this congregation. We can say that there is a unique bond, much uniquer than the bond that a woman and a man have as they come together in marriage. Much, much, much more loving and much, 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 much more deeper than the bond that a son has with the father or that a daughter has with her mother. It is a unique bond, so much so that we need even we need analogies to come up with the uniqueness of it, such as such as Jesus Christ. He is essentially the one who gives us life. He is he is the one who sustains us. He is the one who gives to us all of what we have. We know this as the vine and the branches. It was the great Puritan theologian John Owen who said, Union with Christ is the greatest, the most honorable and glorious of all graces that we are my partakers of. How can Owen say that? Because John Owen understands what Pastor Antonio explained to us this morning. It's, it is only because of Jesus Christ that we have everything that we have currently. It is only because of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ that we are seated in heavenly places and we have all the riches of heaven not currently awaiting us as if they are certainly, but we have them now. We have them now. You see, your sonship in the Son, Jesus Christ, is not a sonship that's awaiting for you, but rather it's something that has been declared upon you. You don't need to wait to the end to know Madam, you don't need to wait for the last judgment to know whether or not you're a son and daughter of God, but rather you can know now. You can know now. And here in our text, at least, at least three times, St. Paul describes the believers and their union with Christ. He says we're died with Christ, we're raised with Christ, and we're glorified with Christ. Now that's most interesting, is it not? Because we're still here on earth. But also, saints of God... It doesn't mean that we, when Christ, as it was explained this morning so beautifully, was going up that hill, that we were actually physically with him. Or that we died with him on the cross, making us, you know, the, the fourth person that were on the cross, right? You have Christ, two thieves, and then there's us. Or that we were actually buried in with him physically speaking, or that we were raised with him, ascended with him, and we are glorified with him physically speaking now. No, no, no. That's not what that means. But what it means is since Jesus Christ was our representative, since Jesus Christ was the one who went before us, that is to say, since Jesus Christ bore our last name, then we are rather, yeah, we died and were raised with him. One commentator says, resurrection and death are not figurative metaphors for spiritual realities, but refer to a real, holistic death and resurrection of Christ. That is to say this, just because you didn't physically die with Christ and you weren't physically raised with Christ doesn't mean that it's not real. It doesn't mean that it's not real. Doesn't mean that you are, that, that we can't say that I have died with Christ and I've been raised with Christ and I am glorified with Christ. He goes on to say, in this respect, then believers, spiritual death has occurred and it will be followed by a physical death. The one thing that you need most, God gives you while you're living. He gives you what? A spiritual rebirth. 
before your what? Physical death. A real redemptive historical spiritual resurrection has been inaugurated and will be completed at the eschaton in the physical resurrection. Go listen to Pastor Antonio's sermons on that. Thus, they are not merely like beings resurrected from the dead, but we are such beings. That is to say, saints of God, you are not like people that have been resurrected. You actually have been resurrected from the dead. (laughs) Listen to me. You actually have been resurrected from the dead. The things that we are waiting for when we receive our glorified bodies once we die, we have slightly, but we do have them now. This congregation is a wonderful insight. This commentator is saying, although we haven't physically died and been risen with Christ, in some respects, hear me now, congregation, in some respects, we have already undergone those events. Again, again, although we haven't physically died, and although we haven't yet physically been risen from the dead, we have already undergone those events. Already. Meaning, your soul has undergone a new birth. Your soul has undergone a new birth. You might say to, my, you might say to yourself, well, how do I know that? You don't reason like you used to. That's how you know that. You came to church today when before, prior to Christ, you wouldn't have come to church. You're shaking or nodding your head yes to supernatural truths that are beyond natural reasoning. There's something that's been ha- that's happened to you, congregation, that you don't need to experience death and resurrection for. You no longer desire. You no longer will the ugly sin like you used to. In fact, those those you might even look back at the things you used to do and you say to yourself, how can I, how did I, why did I do these things? You no longer find pleasure in the sins like you used to. What does this mean? It means that your soul has died and has been raised to the newness of life. Which means that you, you, have died and have been risen to the newness of life. We could say that that great event that happened over 2,000 years ago, congregation, something that we all wish we had a just a 10-second clip of, that we could see. Don't you wish you could see your, your Savior on the cross? Don't you wish you could see everything that happened on that day? Well, saints of God, although we cannot see what happened, as if, you know, as I say, Christ on the cross, we do see its effects. We can say that what happened in the past has intruded into the present. All of what happened, or rather the effects of Christ's resurrection, is being seen in the present. How do I know that? Because dead people are coming back to life. And sinners are being saved. That's how we know that the cross of Jesus Christ has no expiration date with respect to its effects. But until all Christ's sheep come, people will still be saved. Sheep will come to their shepherd. 
saints of God, what this means is you don't need your bodies to know that a death has happened to you. Ask your, talk to your friends whom you used to associate with. They know by just a simple way that you conversate now and think, there's something happened to this guy. There's a, there's a unique something that's happened to them. You don't, you don't need our bodies to know that there's been a resurrection that has happened to our soul. Remember St. Paul's words in Romans 6, 10 through 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have died. And you've been raised to the newness of life. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. And here is Paul's basic argument. And here's my basic argument of the whole sermon. Since your soul has died to sin and has been raised to the newness of life, seek the Lord. That's it. Since you have died to sin and since you have been raised to the newness of life, seek the Lord. There is nothing in your way now. Seek the Lord. There's so many things in this congregation that grabs our attention. And I'm not one of those Christians who says that we are not to pursue worldly activities or things. Be the best employee that you can possibly be. If you enjoy cooking, learn as much as you can to be a great cook and save me the leftovers. If you love playing video games, play your video games. Play your games. If you love learning, learn as much as you can. I'm saying this because St. Paul says in chapter 2, do not submit yourself to such decrees as do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. The Bible nowhere says we are not to have interests in worldly activities. But the Bible does command us not to give all of ourselves to worldly activities. Again, you can have worldly interests, but don't give all of yourself to that worldly interest over and above seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord. If you're setting your mind on, I watched this show the other day about people who are in love with their cars. If you're setting your mind on your car and you're a Christian, then you're doing what? The natural man does. You're essentially finding the same happiness as those whom Pastor Antonio talked about this morning who are dying and going to hell. I'm not saying don't love your car or like your car. But what I'm saying is don't set your mind on your car. Don't set your mind on these worldly activities. Oh, saints, we do this often, though, do we not? It's hard for us. Let's just say, for example, a friend comes to your home with a piece of cake. And then he says that, you know, my, my wife made me this cake. And, and once I got to the last piece, you know what? I said to myself, I'm not going to eat this. I, I, and then I thought of you and I, and I came over and I said, hey. You got to have this. Meaning, I ate all of the cake. And when I got to that last sliver, I said, that's when I thought of you. That's when I said, you know what? My boy's going to like this. He needs to try this. Saints, I wonder how many of us treat the Lord like that. 
How many of us treat the Lord like that? Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all things will be added to you. Here, Jesus essentially is saying is God wants all of you and not just the crumbs. All of you and not just a sliver. All of you and not just the afterthoughts of after everything I have set and applied my mind to. You remember in Luke 9, 61 and 62, we have that, that, that wonderful story. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at my home. But Jesus said to him, no one. After putting his hand to the plow and looking back, it's fit for the kingdom of God. The message of this is simply clear. God doesn't want next. Now he's not saying, out of the virtue of justice, right, you are to disrespect your family. But what he's saying is, not over and above me you're not. I don't want next. I don't want third, I don't want fourth. God wants priority. God wants priority. God wants the first in all of you. The congregation, we must ask, why should we seek after the Lord? Why should we seek after the Lord? Well, saints of God, I don't need to give you ten reasons. I don't need to give you three. I don't need to give you two. Here's one simple answer. We seek the Lord because the Lord sought after you. That's the reason. We seek the Lord. Because the Lord sought after you. Maybe you forgot whom you used to be. Maybe we'll get a better amen. You were dead in your sin. St. Paul says in Romans 3, no one seeks after to the Lord. You cannot seek the Lord. But he sought after you. That is why. That is why, congregation, we seek after the Lord. Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself, not an angel, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Oh, saints of God, if you're a believer in Christ, this is about you. Amen. You know, I agree with Pastor Antonio this morning. We're not Job. We're not David. We're not Christ. There's some stories that in their life that we can say, oh, I, I relate to that a little bit. But this is about us. This is about you. You are this person in the story, in the text. God himself sought after the sheep. And you came. And you came. Jesus gives us his mission statement in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. God in his loving kindness sought us in Jesus Christ. And now, saints, we can do that which we could not do. And that's the, that's the, prof, the, 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 the audacity of chapter 3. Is that Paul is giving us a command that prior we could not do. You see, because God never gives us commands that are burdensome. He never gives us commands that we cannot do. But God empowers us to do what we could not do. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Saints of God, if there's anyone worthy for us to seek, is it not the Lord? 
Is there anyone that's worthy enough for us to set all of our minds to and put everything to the side? Is it not your God? And when you seek the Lord, saints, when you seek the Lord, here's the great, great news. You will not leave unsatisfied. Young people, hear me now. You're going to seek many things in your life. But when you seek the Lord, you will not leave empty handed. When you seek the Lord, you will not, when you get him, scratch your head and say, is this all it? Is this all that I sought after? Oh, no, 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 no. You will experience, saints of God, you will experience young people, what pleasures of joy really means. You will experience what, what, what it means to be happy. The Word of God gives us a list of blessings if we seek the Lord. I just named one. But here's the chief and main blessing. Take this with you. Write it down. Remember it. Here's the chief and main blessing for those who seek the Lord. Jeremiah 29:13. You will seek me and find me. That's it. That's it. That's the blessing. That's the chief end of man. That's the greatest joy in life. You will seek me and you will find me. The great blessing for those who truly seek the Lord is simply this. Not cars, not money, not houses, not clothes, not uh, relationships, not food. It's simply you will find God. That's it. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Saints of God, although this is a great text, it's a blessing text, is it not? We put it on our walls, we tattoo it on ourselves, we write it down, we remember it. But this text, saints of God, is also scary. It's a scary text. Because it, in many ways, rebukes us. Does it not? For it says, if you're not close to the Lord, then that's your fault. If you're not close to the Lord, then that's your problem. If you don't feel like your relationship with God is as close as it needs to be, then that's on you. If your spiritual life is not what you want it to be, if you feel like your spiritual life is stale, then you're not seeking the Lord. Because the text says, if you seek the Lord, you're going to find him. If you seek the Lord, you will find him. And if you are not seeking the Lord, then you won't find him. Oh, it's a blessing text, is it not? But it's also a text that allows us to reevaluate our own lives. That he's there. He's there. This, in many ways, congregation, is God extending his hands and opening his arms to all of us. Saying, Come to me. Come to me. You see, this is not merely just a text for sinners. This is a text for saints. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good. Now keep seeking. Keep digging. Keep going. Seeking the Lord, saints. Finding God is where true happiness is found. 
what that means, congregation. And if I could just sum up Pastor Antonio and I's sermons on happiness and happiness in a nutshell is simply this: If you want happiness, don't seek after happiness. Seek God. If you want happiness, don't look for happiness. Look for God. Look for God. Let's go back to Jesus' words in Matthew six six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I listened to this minister, and he gave this great <clears throat> story of this missionary who went off, and one of his good wealthy friends gave him an envelope of money. His, his friend told him, "Hey, if you're ever in need, here's what might get you out of trouble." Wad of cash. After the missionary's journey was over, he went back to his friend, and after small talk, he gave him back his envelope. And the the man said, "Oh, you, you didn't need to use this after all, did you?" He said, "No, I, I didn't. I sought the Lord, and because I did, there was never a need that the Lord never met. There was never a need." That the Lord never met. Congregation, that is what Christ is telling us. You seek the Lord, and all things will be given to you. You seek the Lord. You keep seeking the Lord. Yeah, it's painful, as Pastor Antonio said this morning. There's a cross that you need to bear. There's a there's a uphill, dirty dirt road. While you're bearing that cross, that you're going to have to walk on. There's going to be some times in your life, congregation, when you are like Peter walking on the water, and then you look down, and then you look up, and then you look to the side, and you lose focus. But saints of God, the Lord does not command us to be perfect seekers. He tells us to seek Him, seek Him, and keep seeking Him. But we have to ask, in closing, how do we seek? How do we seek the Lord? Is the Lord we're supposed to seek? We know of all the blessings that comes from this seeking, but how do we do so? Saint Paul gives us the answer, verse two: Set your mind on the things that are above, and not on the things on the earth. There are practical ways we can put this into practice. We can talk about the life of contemplation. We can talk about the life of prayer. We can talk about the life of reading. But saints of God, consider how the mind plays an important role in the life of the believer. Whatever you will, whatever you desire, it first and foremost comes from your mind. It comes from your intellect. You don't do anything without first thinking the thing to do. God has made us in such a way. Bigger, more superior than the animals and plants, whereby our minds control what we do, govern what we do. We use our minds every day, do we not? And here, Saint Paul encourages us to put our minds to great use, to put our minds in the pursuit of seeking God. One of the ways, saints of God, we can seek the Lord. Is by reading the Word of God, praying. 
But let's just consider quickly reading the Word of God. Now, to some Christians, when you say, study theology, automatically, you fall asleep. Automatically. Yeah, many, automatically, your, your eyes start to get a little bit weary. Because many Christians have a false view of what theology is as a science and, and how practical it could be. You see, saints, many Christians believe that studying the Word of God and, and studying theology is purely head knowledge. For those who want to be great debaters or want to just be smarty pants, But saints of God, that is not how theologians have defined what theology is. Franciscus Junius says, theology is wisdom concerning divine matters. Theology is wisdom. And theology, saints of God, is it's much more higher than the other sciences that we know of. It's, It's much more higher than math, philosophy, anthropology, all of the various sciences that you go to college and you learn about. Why is that? Because theology does something that those sciences cannot do. What is that? It mixes head knowledge with practical living. You cannot practically live out math. And if you can, I have the mic right now. And that's what it is. You cannot practically live out the sciences. And if you do, that is to say, if you live out the sciences practically in the way in which the academy does then you're an atheist. You cannot practically live out any other science other than even philosophy. You know, philosophers will tell you that there's no use of philosophy. So so there's no other science other than theology whereby we can know something and what we know informs how we live. Saints of God, you might be saying, that's great. Here's the other great news. Here's, here's the great news. You can do something that you could not do prior. That is study the word of God and enjoy it. You see, saints of God, when we spend our times on our phones, not reading the word of God on our phone, when we're spending our time watching television, not watching whatever that is you know, good for our souls, we're actually belittling the whole orbit of salvation that God has given to us. You see, God does not give you merely Christ for righteousness and a perfect standing in heaven. He also gives you a mind to pursue him. To pursue him. Pursue him. Oh, <clears throat> when my wife was in the hospital at the same time, coincidentally, as our brother Tony was in the hospital, Given what she had going on, I spent two days on Google putting all of my being into what's going on with her. When our brother Tony was in the hospital for his heart, I I put all of my being into what can he take that will help him. Saints of God, let us put all of our being into the Lord Jesus Christ. All of who we are. All of who we are. Saints of God, one theologian says, theology consists not of bare and empty theory, but 
of a practical science that powerfully stirs the human will and all the emotions of the heart to worship God and to cherish one's neighbor, we can say the same thing about the Word of God. The Word of God is living. The Word of God, saints of God, is what allows us and informs us, rather, to live unto God properly speaking. Last one, Martin Brewster says, true theology is not theoretical, as I say, it's not head knowledge, but practical. The living of it is living, the end of it is living unto God. Saints of God, those who do theology right know this. Those who do theology right know that theology is not just about head knowledge. Those people who study the word of God and theology for head knowledge They're not doing it proper. For theology informs how we live and they are never to be separated. And this is what St. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, verses 2 through 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to doctrine which accords with godliness. Your doctrine leads and ought to lead to godliness. Not big-headedness, not make you such a debater. Let me just tell you right now, <clears throat> as someone who reads and all these various debates, don't read something and get into various debates. Don't read something and try to get into all the distinctions. Just read what the truth says and take it in and contemplate it. Know what the word of God says and keep seeking the Lord. Let's pray.